just want to let you know uh, about a little bit about Dr. Ali. He, he had uh, he he has a degree from University of California Berkeley. Um, he is now a lecturer in Islamic studies at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. He specializes in Sufism, Islamic philosophy, and ethics, but his areas of interest also include Arabic and Persian literature, Quranic studies, and comparative religion. Uh, two books that he wrote, he uh, altered. Uh, the first one is the Philosophical Sufism, an introduction to the school of Ibn Arabi and the horizons of being, the metaphysics of Ibn Arabi. He also has translated some uh, contemporary metaphysical texts as like uh, the new creation and the law of correspondence. Tonight, he's going to be talking about one of the greatest um, Sufis as well as um, uh, the uh, Ilm, Alim, uh, Dawud al-Kayseri, uh, he, is a, he is an Ottoman alim uh, uh, scholar, and he actually gave a direction to the Ottoman's education system based on um, Ibn Arabi's Wahdati Vujud system. And uh, I actually am, am uh, happy to um, publish uh, one of his books in Nefes, in uh, my publications, the uh, in introductory uh, to uh, Sufism, and uh, two more books, uh, very uh, uh, two more books of him. And I'm just gonna uh, give the uh, microphone to Muhtar Ali, so he can actually enlighten us. Thank you very much. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. And I'd like to thank the Kareem Foundation, the Muhaddin Ibn Arabi Society, uh, Institute of Sufi Studies at Eskudari University for hosting this event. And, um, and I appreciate their invitation. Now, tonight's talk I have entitled Dawud al-Qaysari. Dawud al-Qaysari's Muqaddimah, the essential introduction to Ibn al-Arabi. Now, we have... In the past few sessions, we've been enlightened by the previous scholars on the nature of understanding Ibn Arabi from different perspectives. Tonight, I would like to focus on one particular thinker who is one of the preeminent commentators, Dawud al-Qaysari. And of course, I know this is a very important question that everyone has been asking in the, in the chat and after the session is what is the first step to studying Ibn Arabi? What is the first, is there an introductory text or work? Or how do we enter this great ocean as we know Ibn Arabi? Now, of course, if you dive straight into the ocean from the middle or you jump off a cliff, certainly there are uh, very slim chances of survival. But if you enter the ocean from the shore, or from a place of safety, then this is a sure-footed way and something which is a safe and a reasonable, rational approach to the study of Ibn Arabi. Now, that being said, 
there are a few historical details I'd like to cover. First of all, we want to look at one particular work of Qaisari, which is called his Sharh Fusus al-Hikam. Now, as you know, that there are over 120 commentaries written on Ibn Arabi's work Fusus al-Hikam. So this is considered to be one of the pinnacle uh, works of of Arfan or Sufism. And I'm using this word Sufism, but really the term is Arfan. Arfan is from Ma'arifa, which means gnosis. And rarely have these authors have used the term Sufism. They use Arif, they use Ahlullah, the people of God, the Gnostic, the mystic, the people of realization. So keep in mind that throughout, I will be using these terms interchangeably to describe the thinkers and authors and the Gnostics of this school. Now, we begin by examining Dawud al-Qaisari's prolegomena or muqaddimah. The muqaddimah is a 12-chapter introduction that Qaisari wrote at the beginning of his introduction to the Fusus. When he commented on the Fusus, he wrote a very, very clear and precise exposition of the doctrines of Ibn Arabi. He wanted to summarize that. And this is popularly known as Muqaddimat al-Qaysari. Now, before I go into this, let's contextualize Qaysari's spiritual and academic or scholarly lineage. So I want to briefly talk about a few of the key figures who led up to Qaysari. The first one is Sadruddin al-Qunawi. As we know, Sadruddin al-Qunawi is considered to be the greatest expositor of Ibn Arabi's works and the foremost of his students. Ibn al-Arabi and Qunawi's father, Majdiddin, were friends, and Ibn Arabi married his widow, becoming Qunawi's stepfather. While still in his 20s, he was granted permission, ijaza to transmit all of Ibn Arabi's writings, having had the Futuhat al-Makkiya, as he stated, recited to me from the beginning to the end a year earlier. Qunawi was the first to give structure to his master's teachings, systematizing and popularizing them through philosophical language. A later commentator, Abdurrahman Jami, says about Qunawi, he says, it is impossible to understand Ibn al-Arabi's teachings concerning the oneness of being in a manner consistent with both intellect and sacred law without studying Unawi's works. So this school, the school of Ibn al-Arabi, or perhaps we can say philosophical Sufism, is largely a product of Unawi's recasting of Ibn al-Arabi's doctrine into the language of philosophy to reach a larger audience. In other words, as Professor Kilinch said in the very first lecture, that Ibn Arabi is primarily known as a mystic, not a philosopher. So he was the sahib or the recipient of unveilings of mushahadat, mukashifat, and all different types of unveilings which he writes about in all of his works. So, that's, that is why we find that there is a sort of lack of organization in some of his writings. 
there is organization, but there is also a lot going on and it is difficult to make sense out of what he's saying at what place. So we have to rely often on the commentators. Now, let me make this one point that in the study of Ibn Arabi, we usually have two approaches or two essential uh, approaches that we have to consider. The first is to study Ibn al-Arabi through his own writings. And this is obvious. And the second important aspect of the study of Ibn al-Arabi is to study the commentarial tradition surrounding his works. So there is an entire tradition, starting with Al-Qunawi, going on to Jandi, then his student Kashani, and then we arrive at Qaysari. So I want to... <clears throat> Explain just a little bit about these four, these founding fathers of this school. So when we understand Ibn Arabi, this idea of Wahdat al-Wujud, all of these terms, they have been giving a certain structure and organization through the writings of Qunawi and Kashani and so on. Now keep in mind that Qunawi, Jandi, Kashani, and Qaysari, all of them who we consider to be the founding fathers of this methodology and the organizers and the ones who gave this school structure, they were also trained philosophers. So when we come to the writings of Qunawi, sometimes we find that they are more difficult than Ibn Arabi's original writings. Even though he tried to simplify from one perspective or organize, we find that they are also more difficult, or we can say that they are more philosophical. And this is true with all of the, the authors we find in the entire trajectory of Ibn Arabi commentaries. Now, it should not be imagined that Qunawi, despite being a philosopher, promoted analytical reasoning over intuition. In other words, he did not prefer reason over kashf as a means of arriving at truth. His aim was simply to describe the realities witnessed by direct experience through a shared terminology of philosophy. Now, there are a few things with respect to the historical characteristics that emerged from Unui's writings. One author, one uh, modern scholar James Morris stresses some salient features. The first is that Ibn Arabi's teachings were maintained through the actual study of his texts, particularly the Fusus al Hikam. So we see that this text is a way to maintain the tradition of this particular school. Secondly, the, the intellectual milieu in which Qunawi was writing, there were deep intersections between philosophy, theology, and Sufism. We have in Qunawi's own handwriting a personal copy of a set of glosses of Suharawardi's Hikmat al-Ishraq. So in fact, they were conversant in the language of philosophy, theology, kalam, Quran, jurisprudence, and all of the different sciences, and we see there is an intersection between all of this in the commentarial tradition. Now, let me move on because we can talk about Hunui on and on, and he was one of the greatest, as we say, 
if if Ibn al Arabi is Sheikh al Akbar, the greatest Sheikh, Unawi is often referred to as a Sheikh al Kabir, the great Sheikh. Only after Ibn al Arabi, Unawi's position is solidified as the main expositor of his writings. Now, he writes, when he says one last thing about what he says about the Fusus al-Hikam and the importance, because the reason why I'm mentioning this again is that when we study the Muqaddimah of Qaysari, keep in mind that the Muqaddimah is the, the introduction to, Qun, to Qaysari's commentary on this book, Fusus al-Hikam. So this is why it's important to understand how they viewed how the fusus and why it was so important and why it's it considered it is considered to be the most precious distillations of Ibn Arabi's works. As Qunawi says, it is the seal of his writings and one of his last inspirations flowing from the Muhammadan station and wellspring of the essence and comprehensive singularity. It came from the quintessence of the spiritual dhok or taste of our prophet with regard to the knowledge of God and intimates, intimates the origin of the adwaq, this taste specific to the awliya, the saints and prophets mentioned therein. In other words, this book, Fusus al-Hikam, is the summary of all of Ibn Arabi's ideas. And in this book, as Qunawi says, there is no doubt that an awareness of the mysteries contained in a book of this stature, whose source of knowledge is that prophetic station, is dependent upon realizing the spiritual inheritance of him who has tasted all of that, having opened and unveiled for him. Now, a brief note about Jandi. Jandi was a student of Qunawi. He was also a great mystic, and he was the teacher of Abdul Razak Kashani. When we come to Kashani, Kashani's major contribution was not only writing a commentary on the Fusus. Now, Jandi was the first to write the commentary on the Fusus, a full-length, massive commentary on Fusus al-Hikam. Thereafter, in Jandi's footsteps, we see that Kashani, Abdul Razak Kashani, Jandi's student, also wrote a very comprehensive uh, commentary, but, but Kashani focused more on terminology. And also where Jandi was focusing on philosophical discussions and he branched off a lot, theological and philosophical discussions, Kashani's commentary is more focused dealing with terminology, and we see that Kashani was a compiler of terms. And he wrote two dictionaries of Sufism. One is called Istilahat al-Sufiyya, and the second is called Lafa'if al-A'lam fi isharat ahl al-Ilham, subtleties of nomenclature in the allusions of the people of inspiration. In other words, one of the major projects and successful projects that crystallized the school of Ibn Arabi was the writing of lexicons. Without Kashani's efforts, we would simply see 
discursive works or commentaries and disparate uh, writings on various topics. But what Kashani did was that he, he systematized all of the major terminology of the school, which was to be later used and was influential in the writings of every other commentator thereafter. And this is particularly true, uh, particularly important with respect to Dawud al-Qaysari, because Qaysari was the student of Kashani. Now, Dawud al-Qaysari, Qaysari's writings are some of the clearest and most precise exposition of Ibn al-Arabi's writings and teachings. He was born in the central Anatolian town of Qaysariya, present-day Turkey. And he died, he was born in 1250, roughly, or 1260, and he died in 1350. Qaysari's early education was in Qaysari, in Qaysari, after having spent several years in Egypt. He returned to Asia Minor and studied in the Tokat Niksar Nizamiya school um, under one of Nasiruddin Tusi's, one of Nasiruddin Tusi's student. He was proficient in Avicenna philosophy, having studied Hellenistic philosophy and mathematics. And in Sufism, as I mentioned, he was a disciple of Abdul Razak al-Kashani in Kashan, with whom he studied the Fasus al-Hikam. Kashani was also his sheikh on the path, his spiritual mentor and preceptor. In one of the biographical entries on Qaysari from, Mun from Abdul Rauf, Munawi, he says, Dawood al-Qaysari was a scholar given to religious devotion, the ascetic Sufi who used to partake in spiritual struggle. Az-Zahid al-Sufi al-Mujahid. These are the terms he uses. He studied the religious disciplines in his hometown, and then he went to Egypt and studied the three religious disciplines with the scholars versed in them. Then he occupied himself with Sufism, excelling in them, mastering it, devoting himself to writing about it. He commented upon the Fasus and attached an introduction to it in which he finally explains the principles of Sufism. Sultan Orhan Ghazi built a religious school for him in the town of Iznik, which was the first one built in the Ottoman Empire. This is a very important and significant detail about his life. And he served in the Ottoman school system. He was the head and the founder of this school system, a post which he served until his death in 1350. Thus, because of his political appointment, he was instrumental in the dissemination of Ibn al-Arabi's teachings throughout the Ottoman Empire. He also had an impact in the, on the Ottoman scholar Hamza Fannari. And one Orientalist scholar, Stanford Shaw, notes that the transition between older Arab traditions and those developed under the Ottomans was provided by Dawood al-Qaysari and Mullah Fannari. With respect 
to the Fusus commentarial tradition. Qaisari's commentary, Sharh Fusus al-Hikam, whose complete title is Matla Khusus al-Kilam, fi Sharh Ma'ani Fusus al-Hikam, which essentially means the, the preamble of select discourse in explaining the meanings of Fusus al-Hikam, the bezels or the gemstones of wisdom. And this represents the third in a line going back to Kashani, Jandi, and Al-Qunawi. Now, Al-Qunawi didn't write a complete commentary on the Fusus. He simply wrote a chapter heading. So he summarized a, a, a summary commentary of the Fusus. But Qaysari synthesized the views of his predecessors, the the scholar William Chittick notes that Qaysari's commentary seems to have been the most influential in the eastern lands of Islam from the 14th century onwards. And the late Jalal al-Din Ashtiani, the Iranian scholar of philosophy and mysticism, wrote a lengthy commentary on the Muqaddimah alone. Just the Muqaddimah. So he, uh, Ashtiani has an 800-page commentary just on the Muqaddimah Qaysari. And he writes and he says that we have compared Qaysari's commentary with those of other commentators and found Qaysari's to be the best in many respects, even if Kashani's is more profound. The highlight of this commentary is that the Muqaddimah stands on its own as an independent work and has thus become a subject of careful study. If the Futuhat al-Makkiyya contains the entirety of Ibn al-Arabi's metaphysics, which is distilled in the Fusus al-Hikam, then Qaysari's Muqaddimah can be read not only as a summary of the Fusus, but as the summary of Ibn al-Arabi's entire doctrine. Ashtiani maintains that the Muqaddimah is the best of Qaysari's writings. For this reason, the Muqaddimah has become a seminal text, studied in the traditional learning centers as well as in private circles. In other words, to answer this essential question, how do we start to study Ibn Arabi? Well, in the past, the Muqaddimah Qaysari was the first book that was read in the study of all of Ibn Arabi's works in this entire school. Once you studied Ibn Arab, uh, the Muqaddimah Qaysari with a teacher, then one would go and study uh, perhaps the Fusus itself or Ibn Turqa's uh, Tamheed al-Qawaid. And then they would move on to, and I'll explain a little bit in, in a moment, but let's see what Qaysari himself says about his studying and how he came to understand the, the, the Fusus al-Hikam itself. Qaysari acknowledges that he experienced visionary states. He also relates that while he was studying the Fusus with Kashani, he became the recipient of divine assistance. He says in the preface, God had granted me with an understanding of meanings possessing brilliant luminosity and inspired me 
of the significances containing lofty mysteries. He showed me in my inner secret, a bearer of good tidings who would lead me to my gnosis of this book. I was singled out amongst my companions to have received knowledge and acquire meanings without prior reflection and learning. It was assistance from God, the generous, and a grace from the merciful Lord, because he affirms by his support, whomever he wills from among his servants, forging success in the mystery of his origin and return. Now, a few other points on this. There is something to be known about how to read the Muqaddimah. Muqaddimah Qaysari is not, even though it is an introduction to this commentary, it is considered to be the first text that is studied, an introduction. It is, at the same time, not a very easy text. And the reason for this is that Qaysari was writing for a different time. He was writing for a different audience. He was writing for a philosophical audience or an audience that was trained in traditional scholastic scholarship, which includes theology, kalam, philosophy, uh, metaphysics, and all these disciplines. So what he's doing is he's combining some philosophy with the school of Ibn al-Arabi. And this is exactly what his predecessors did. Not only did Kashani do that, Jandi certainly did that along with, along with Qunawi. So we see that reading the Muqaddimah of Qaysari does require just a little bit of philosophy. And it requires some background or some ability to deal with philosophical concepts when trying to understand Ibn al-Arabi. Now, even though this is a very interesting uh, point, and that is even though the main thrust of Ibn al-Arabi's system is based on mukashifa, unveiling, spiritual experience, mushahada, divine gnosis, we see that the study of his works relies on intellection, reason, and some philosophy. So there seems to be a tension between the two. But keep in mind that it's not a tension fundamentally in the sense that, that the authors, including Ibn Arabi, used philosophy as a tool and a means to describe the verities of Sufism or the haqqaiq. Some of these haqqaiq are not easy to express. And generally, there have been two modes of expression in the Arfan. There is the poetic tradition, so we find Rumi or Ibn al-Farid, and they use poetry to express the ma'ani or the meanings that they experience and they see. In this particular school, there is some poetry, but the choice method of explanation and exposition has been philosophical vocabulary. So we see that they start with, basically begins this, the discussion 
with al-wujud, being. And then he goes on, and then he talks about the divine names, and the maratib al-wujud, the different levels of being, the awalim al-kulliyah, which are the, the degrees of being, the universal degrees, and so on. So when we come to the actual table of contents of the Muqaddama Qaysiri, we will see that it is important to kind of have the, 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 the keys of understanding why he included these chapters and what is, as we said, since the Muqaddama Qaysiri is the summary of Ibn Arabi's thinking, then those chapter headings also are significant. In, in other words, those 12 chapters represent the most important themes in all of Ibn Arabi's thought. The first important theme is wujud, being. Then, or we can say ontology, being qua being, the privative and positive aspects of being, necessity, contingency, impossibility, all of this which the Urafa or the mystics, the Gnostics refer to as Al-Haq. Al-Haq is God Almighty, but they equate it to the philosophical term wujud, because sometimes it is, yes? Do we have a question? Uh, we didn't go up to the questions just yet. Oh, okay. Okay, fine. I thought I heard something. Okay, now, so the first chapter discusses ontology or wujud. The second chapter explores the divine names, their divisions, the positive and privative attributes. So there are some dimensions or some concepts that are carried over from kalam. But then he goes into the division of the names of beauty and majesty, al-jamal wal-jalal, the mothers of the names, the ummahat al-asma, the mafatih al-ghayb, the keys of the unseen, the names of the essence, attributes, and acts, the engendering of the names, the names which produce other names. Some names are universal, some are particular. The dominion, the governance of the names and those names which relate to creation and those which do not. So these two chapters are fundamental aspects of the whole cosmology, the whole metaphysics, wujud, the maratib, the degrees of being, and the asma. Then we come into the manifestations or the aspects of divine manifestation. So, in short, I'll go to some, through some of the chapters, some of the, the main ideas, but we can say that the book can be divided, or the introduction, the muqaddama can be divided into two major themes, as with the entirety of Ibn Arabi's thought. One is jiha, jihat al-haq, which is the side of div the divinity, and the second aspect is the side of man. So the two major themes Ibn al-Arabi discusses throughout. Everything is either concerning God or concerning man and the relationship between the two. Al-Haq wal-Insan. Those are the two pivots of all of his thinking. 
So we can also see the Muqaddama Qaysiri as being divided into these two major themes. Those things which concern divinity, the, the levels of divinity, the divine names, the, uh, the ideas of substance and accident, ayana thabita, the archetypes and so on. And then we have insan, insan al-kamil, the, the different levels of the human being, the inward aspects, the microcosm, the macrocosm, and so on. And man's trajectory, the circles of existence, his coming from Allah and his returning to God and so on. So this is one theme. The second way to approach the Muqaddama Qaysiri, as we said, divinity in man, or divin- the divine levels and the created levels. So not just man, the human being, insan, but the created levels, the levels of creation. So there are some levels, such as alam al-asma, alam al-arwah, and so on which are considered to be the divine levels, the ayan, the objects of divine knowledge. This is divinity. This is before creation. And then Allah or God creates, and then we come to the levels of creation, the created levels, such as the aql, the intellect, as the, as the hadith says, the first thing that I created was the intellect. So from the intellect, then we have the nafs, and then the jism, and so on. So we have divine levels and excuse me, and the created levels. Another division of approaching the Muqaddama Qaysari or all of it in Arabi's writings is by looking at either things which are ontological, existential, that concern being, wujud, such as asma, everything which is created is wujudi. Or we can look at it epistemologically, not just what is. But how does we how do we come to know it? In other words, what are the modes of cognition, of perception? Is it reason, reason alone? Is it mukashifa, mushahada, musamara, dhok? What are the different aspects? Ilham, Wahi ibn Arabi talks and divides all the different modes of cognition that are available to the human being. And this is essential because when we study Ibn Arabi, we have to see that what we're studying is only being filtered into our intellect, into our intelligence. We're reading the words, but there must be a transference from the words on the page to the levels of the heart and so on. Or there must be spiritual experience that accompanies the reading of his works. So this must be also kept in mind when approaching these texts of Irfan. Irfan is fundamentally, the source of Irfan is light, is illumination, is kash, mushahada, and so on. It was put down onto paper, and it is to be transformative. This is the objective of these writings. So we see that these are two major themes. What exists? And how do we know that it exists? What is the nature of existence according to how we come to know it? Epistemology studies how, studies knowledge. It is a theory of knowledge. And this is one of the essential pivots in all of his thinking. And in fact, Sufism in general, Sufism questions 
philosophy. It questions theology. It questions all of these different sides and law as well, positing that there are other ways of knowing truth and reality other than reason and discursive analytical reasoning. This is the hallmark of Tasawwuf and Arfan, is its epistemology. So we ask, what is the difference between Kalam and Ibn Arabi? What is the difference between philosophy and Ibn Arabi's thinking? When we only look at the metaphysics, we find that they are very similar. But it is in the epistemology where we find that there is major differences. Now, and there are other smaller aspects. Now, in the later chapters, we see that the fifth chapter describes the universal world or the divine presence. Or, and as, as we said, these are the, the levels of creation, the created worlds, one of them being the divine world, depending on how the different commentators divide the universal worlds. There, is, there are two essential chapters that, that Qaysari talks about. One is the chapter on Alab al-Mithal, the world of imagination. And then he talks about the chapter on unveiling, as I said these are, uh, the, the chapter on unveiling deals with epistemology. He also deals with the concept of the human vicegerency, the, the, this idea of khilafah. And this is a very important principle because we find that in this principle, there are a lot of cross um, uh, shared ideas between Tasawwuf and Tashayyur and Shi'ism, Shi'ism, Sufism, and Sunni, all and, and Sunnism, traditional Su- Sunnism, all of these ideas kind of converge in ideas of Khilafa or Imama or, or this idea of uh, Insan al Kamil. Now, who is that Insan al Kamil? Who is the specific? That's another issue. But the theological basis and the groundwork is present, and we find that this is the point of departure for many different madhahib to draw from Ibn Arabi to find a shared common ground where they can plug into the larger framework of Islam or Islamic thought. So we see that these divisions between Sunni and Shia, they melt and they converge in these ideas of insan al-kamil or khilafah and so on. And this is a very important point that we should also consider and take seriously in today's world. Finally, I will end as Qaysari ends with a few ideas on the concept of the resurrection. As we know that among the usul al-deen, the, the basic usul that all agree on, all Muslims believe in, is Tawheed, Nubuwa, and Ma'ad, and the resurrection. So it is essential that he mentions these three usul al-deen from the perspective of, uh, from, from perspective of wujud. And then he ends, he finalizes the muqaddimah with a discussion on the, the return to God. What does the return actually mean? How do we make sense out of this whole circular circularity of existence which Ibn Arabi talks about. 
Yes, and of course he we we he does talk about the fundamental concept of the Muhammadan reality and sainthood and and um, the wilaya the, the relationship between nubuwa and wilaya. This is a very very important principle in Irfan in tasawwuf in general because tasawwuf or Irfan real spirituality is an initiatic tradition. In other words, the initiation begins with the Prophet, peace be upon him, through the different awliya, through the companions, whether it's Imam Ali or Sayyidina Abu Bakr, and so on. These traditions move through their authority, their spiritual authority. So this wilaya is one of the binding threads of Ibn al-Arabi's um, cosmology. And so we see that uh, this is represented in the Turuq Sufiya, which is another top of, of discussion. But here, philosophically and theologically, we see that Ibn al-Arabi pays a lot of attention to this concept of wilaya, the silsila, the chain of wilaya, going from fundamentally Allah, from the from God, Allah waliyulladina amanu, God is the wali of those who believe, onto the Prophet. And then through throughout history, through the different saints and shuyukh and so on, whether they belong to an order or they did not belong to an order. But wilaya is real and it belongs, this is a name of God. So Ibn al-Arabi talks about wilaya and Qaysari focuses on wilaya in, uh, in one of his chapters extensively. And he says some of the most profound and eloquent aspects. Now, let me, let me just finish by this. Why has this commentary, Qaysari's commentary, become the most popular of all the commentaries? even though it is the third in the line. There's a couple reasons for this. The first reason is that Qaysari was a very, very good writer. He's very expressive. He's very eloquent. And he, his style is elegant. It's precise. Not only is he a good scholar, but he's also a good writer. So he's able to capture the essence of what Ibn al-Arabi is saying or his predecessors is saying. So in other words, in a matter of 80 or 100 pages, he's able to capture the essence of the doctrine. That's one thing. And one of the aspects of being a good writer is not to write in a, in a way which is too complicated. It needs to have precision yet appeal to the reader. So he appeals to different levels of scholarship. It is appealing to the scholar and the expert, as well as the layperson and the novice and beginner. So in other words, the beauty of this text is that it has wide readership and wide appeal. It is, it is written simply and clearly. There is no extensive philosophical tangents and diversions. Everything that needs to be learned is there in the muqaddama. Once you have a solid grounding in the muqaddama, then it is as if you have the whole of the doctrine in 
um, in, in, su- in summary form. And then you spend the rest of your time developing those ideas, whether you approach the Fusus or the Futuhat or some of Ibn al-Arabi's Risail or some of the other commentaries, which are not only commentaries, but they are independent works unto themselves. We should, we should see that the commentarial tradition has originality. There are original insights, original scholarship that builds on the ideas and framework of Ibn al-Arabi. So it's not to be seen only as a repetition of what the predecessors said, but also an aspect of original scholarship. So I leave you there, and we will, inshallah, have some time for questions and answers and a discussion. Thank you very much. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen.